Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kazungram Dialogue. I'm your host, IJ McCann. My guest today is Preet Mikhelson. Preet is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he is one of the main instructors at BJJ Globetrotters, and he's also the head coach of 3D training in Estonia. In this episode, we discuss Preet's unique approach to Jiu-Jitsu and how he thinks people should train Jiu-Jitsu as a sport rather than an art. He's got a um, he brings a scientific approach to training jiu-jitsu where he tests out his hypothesis. Um, through trial and error, he's able to determine whether the techniques he teaches work. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this episode. Please welcome Preet Mikhailson to the Guzino Dialogue Podcast. it's good to finally meet you it's been um i've been following your work for i I guess i would say probably close to about a year maybe about a year i came across it through your um one of your seminars at uh, bjj globetrotters you have a very unique way of teaching and that's what drew me in right so you you approach the you approach bjj and i you've said it multiple times as a sport and not an art and yes and i think yeah i heard you say that uh you described your teaching as functional functionalistic minimalism now the term is even like a functional minimalist we even minimalize that word so it's <laughs> one of the one of my friends alex from uk he was like he was that's his initiative like he was like dude you're talking about minimalistic things so you have to make the functionalistic functional so now it's super minimal how would you how would you describe how would you describe what that that concept um i think the website i have it's not really active but in there uh i think uh the sentence is that uh, all the postures that every every grappler needs to know um I don't, I don't want to, I think I will give myself a freedom in the future to change my mind and to, to go after some, something else. But at the moment, um, I'm interested of the, the extremes, you know, like, let's say one extreme would be like, what is the, you know, like, so to speak, I call it like those zero points. What is the actual zero, you know, where, mm. where everything starts, you know, what can you do and get by and it should be enough, you know, like staying in those, like, let's say turtle or those sitting turtle panda zero points and just do enough, basically don't move. Mm. And then we start to build complexity from there. So it's kind of, kind of like a tree of evolution. It kind of like a, I'm fascinated by the idea that it, it started from the, you know, single cell organism mm. that jujitsu can, uh, we can go that zero. Like uh, we can, we can trace all the animals to, a, you know, I think they say like a single cell organism, you know, so completely to the zero and then do the stardust and whatever, you know, to the big bang. So I'm fascinated by the idea that where, where jujitsu starts, how mm. do, how do we should start teaching that? Or is there a beginning? Because, because it cannot be like you start to 
teach escaping when people have cross-face underhook and side control, you know? Clearly, that's like like a wrong, wrong, wrong position to start. It's not mm. a zero. Mm. So those things happen, and then we we should know. But what we should do as a minimal thing to get by, and then the complexity, the complexity that is added, it's actually your choice that you can get by by doing the minimum, let's say, mm-hmm. and or you get bored. You add things when you need to. Mm. So, so that's kind of, uh, kind of, you know, simplified version. You have to always do something, but what's the minimum you have to do to get by and, uh, example that, you know, like if you've seen my turtle zero point, yeah, you can pretty much stay there, use all your strength and attributes and everything to just keep that structure and do as less as you can. And then I find a way out, mm. maybe pull guard, stand up, you know, whatever you want to do, or you can. You can, if you get super bored and maybe that stalling like game is not your cup of tea, maybe you're ready, maybe you have done grappling more, then you feel when you want to add stuff because uh, you don't have to add 20 sweeps to turtle, you know, you just maybe need a couple of jab cross connections that work together, a couple of pairs. And, uh, and then that's that's it. You do it forever, and then you get bored. Maybe you, maybe you add something. Maybe you don't. But those added sweeps, they don't. They're not essential to actually be good in turtle. Mm. So that that freedom to choose what to add, what not to add, I think it's interesting. Other way, if I say if we don't teach this according to zero points, then we start to teach only techniques. And then it's a chase of techniques, techniques, and then it's thousand techniques, you know? And then it's very often beginners say, you know, it's super complicated. It's always every, every week. And also I have a really, like a mind, I don't know, like a, what, how to say it nicely, mind, uh, mind trick that, it, take it? I say, you don't, you don't have to say it nicely. You can just say it. Yeah. Like a, like a mind game that usually I say, uh, like, um, or maybe we get to that idea that if you teach like two te- two techniques in a class and then you have two classes a week as a recreational grappler and then in a couple of weeks you have four techniques uh, sorry in a week you have four techniques in two weeks you have eight techniques and you can do the math and we can't just teach we can't keep teaching things like this because it's just like accumulation of techniques mm-hmm. so I'm not saying the zero point and ideas and all this is perfect but it tries to give you give the to the complexity oriented art uh, like a better explanation how yeah. to learn yeah. and what is actually essential to keep rolling to get by and then adding techniques is a free will you know so 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 kind of kind of that's my you know unpolished definition. Yeah, how how have you found that you know starting from first principles or trying to get to the first principles and. You know, teaching, say, someone who has no grappling experience. Ask me again. Ask, ask the question. How have you found that? How have you found uh, teaching first principles to someone who's completely new? How you, uh, you're asking me how did I find for myself or how do I teach them others? How have others found it? So when, you, when you've taught, say, so usually let's say, um, say someone comes into a new gym, right? No experience in grappling, hasn't wrestled, hasn't. Uh, done any sort sort of um, 
any sort of even judo or jiu-jitsu for that matter. So they come in and often what ends up happening is they get destroyed for the first six months. And, and then we normalize this. We always say, oh, yeah, the first six months you're going to get destroyed, get used to it. But then I, I, th- I think with the way you're teaching it, you're saying, okay, look, I can teach you these fundamental first principle, first, you know, the, the basics of it that it will help you survive. And uh, first of all, I think in at, at the moment we have uh, in our club four stages. We have uh, beginners, we have base, we have main, and we have advanced, like four different groups. So actually, uh, in a beginner's, uh, beginner's course, we teach three months, like two-thirds our submissions. The because, first, first three months? Uh, yeah, first two-thirds of it uh, pretty much is submission. Um, because uh, and then guard passing and some other stuff, but we don't talk about half guard or anything else because there is no interest. Uh, because we we teach like this that uh, you can join every class, so it's two classes a week. You can show, join each class because all the classes are independent. So you just do the cycle of three months, and if you've done most classes, we will you know we will push you to another group. If you missed you know more than Third or whatever, we will ask you to do it again. To keep just you know cycle, keep the cycle, um, and we teach submissions because that's the context people understand. And um, so all you know, dars, arm bars, triangles, uh, I guess Achilles, knee bar, and all those things. And um, in those areas, we we isolate a lot with the, the let's let's say with the with the progressive resistance. Yeah, mm. somebody plays a. Blaze of dummies, you hold the arm, they try to finish, you know, and somebody gets a lot of taps, somebody learns to be a, you know, partner and tap a lot and resist until you have to tap. So what's the purpose of this is when they go, they don't roll, they don't free roll first three months. Hmm. I think it's uh, very dangerous to make people roll in first three months because uh, people don't understand rolling, they take everything personally and the injury risk is super high and people get sore and everything else. And they don't know, they cannot spar if they don't know the dangers. So if they don't know submission threat, they cannot spar because if somebody does you a dars, sometimes it's a chank, like a, like a choke and a crank. Mm-hmm. So you, your neck is messed up, you know, next day. So we don't let them spar. They isolate drill, isolate, you can say spar in a very restricted, in a, in a distance. And then after this, uh, when they, know all the threats of submissions and chokes uh, they go to uh, base course and there the classes will be longer also one an hour and a half beginners class is usually an hour and then they start to uh, roll also the free rolling starts then and the only thing i want them to be safe of knowing when to tap mm. yeah and for for what to tap so basically that's why we teach submissions so they would come and they because they will start to roll and they have to tap a lot, you know. Mm. So the people that been in a base course they will hunt them, and uh, if you're coming from the beginners course you will tap. So we we have to keep them safe. So that's the that's the reasoning. And I think in base course since um, I don't teach base course I teach advanced blue belts and up, and in base course they start to more they have a, like an eight to ten month cycle. And there they learn all the zero points and they go more to techniques and the mm. ideas and stuff. And it's still, it's, uh, I think the idea of zero point, uh, you know, you know, it sounds kind of perfect that I would just do this and nothing else. Still, I would, uh, 
it's all gonna based on zero points and but then we have to show them also techniques you know we have to it's not only like you know teaching this we have to show them what is a jab cross what is uppercut body punch how they work together what is a you know fundamental sweeps mm. that how people can respect you know it can be in front of them under them you know behind them so they have to learn all those ideas in a base course so we have to go over some techniques because we can't just go just zero point and just spar you know right. they they have to be taught and, and, and uh, so that's how we start but it's all based on kind of those zero points and even uh so defensively and uh, and it, the results has been actually quite interesting how how maybe some white or blue belts mm. it's really tough to tap them actually if they're they they won't bite you back because their timing and confidence is not there uh but there you have to work with them you have to really get stuff you know and i think that's the main thing they can survive they can don't get manhandled it's not like they're getting demolished six months and it's super easy to fix them because if i get them in some position i can say them right away according to zero points like keep your elbows here you know keep your elbows tight keep your knees wide so mm. everything goes back to the zero like it's super easy to fix their mistakes if i get an arm bar from turtle or seatbelt i will tell them okay wrist fight more elbow close here mm. you know head on a mat and fix your base and do it again you know so it's not about so much about technique so helping them and fixing them is actually easier so and we're trying to build that system into the club more i guess it's also the system is peaking mm -hmm. in that sense um i can do it in a pretty okay level in a black belt uh, so it's all kind of coming together and we're trying to also find ways you know to teach it around that more in a club but definitely mm -hmm. it's not only this you know I think the way we drill, the way we spar with with special rules in a class and all kind of methodologies, I think um, that's kind of what I'm trying to bring and experiment in my club. So zero point is just one of them. With the zero point, is it is it accurate to say that the zero point system, if I can even if I can call it a zero point system, is more defensive oriented? as opposed to an offensive orient orientation? Uh, at the moment, yes. Uh, probably somebody has actually asked what is the you know, go-to position from top, but I'm not interested of this at the moment. So I'm really nerdy about uh, defensive stuff. So sitting turtle, turtle, uh, hawking, mm -hmm. uh, running man, and all those things. Uh, active turtle also. So it's more, yeah, it's more around defensive stuff because uh, idea is that Everybody talks that, you know, like you said also, our oh, first six months is about survival and, you know, getting through this and getting manhandled. Mm. I think everybody and people say it's like survival, survival, but I actually don't know. It's a very cocky thing to say, but I don't actually know a lot of systems, uh, defensive systems that are providing answers to this problem. Mm. People are usually teaching, you know, very scattered ways of escaping. And uh, least I'm not. If I'm saying this is the only system, probably I will get a lot of heat for that. But but I would say show me a system that like covers everything. Yeah, mm. not only like some people have good back escapes. You know, some people have good this or. But show me an overall system like that covers knee and bellies, mount everything. Yeah. So and I'm working on this. It's not perfectly ready. I'm still experimenting with mount and stuff and there's some funny things happening there, but it's getting there and uh, you know, side controls, turtles and all those things. 
And I'm trying to answer that question. I'm trying to build that system. And um, definitely I'm, you know, stealing from top names mm -hmm. by watching what they do in the matches, mm -hmm. how they escape, because uh, good guys can't hide in a competition what they do, what they're good at. So I'm trying to find common nominators with people in a high level, what they do repeatedly, repetitively, uh, different people, and to build a system around that. And uh, it's slowly, slowly happening, and its results are pretty interesting. It's again, it's not going to be like, oh, this is it, and that's the best thing. But it clearly tries to give the better answer to the question that it's we see what's out there at the moment. How important is it? to look at what high-level grapplers are doing as opposed to just not looking at them and then kind of make, building it on your, by yourself? Sometimes what people teach and do are different things. Mm. Um, and uh, I always say like a good, like a you know, genius or whatever, good people can't hide what they know. Even if they don't teach or they don't have instructional or some people are not giving out information purposely, but if you watch them roll, you can't, they can't hide what they know. So example, um, I'm actually, you know, I'm a, re I'm a big head grabber. Uh, I grab the, I do the necktie from the guard top, you know, yeah. I do the, actually I do the necktie from the mount bottom also. Yeah. I do it from mount bottom. And there is uh, interesting evidence that the necktie from mount bottom is kind of the first thing you should do or something. I don't know. Mm. It's still under construction. But the necktie came from uh, uh, what's the other? What's the Henner Gracie brother's name? Huron. Huron. Uh, Huron. Huron. Yeah, Huron. And he was doing a, one seminar. It was clip in internet, uh, YouTube. And he was doing a, one seminar. He was talking about grabbing the head, and some randomly he just grabbed the necktie and just bumped the person and rolled. Hmm. And he was just, I just made it up on a spot, but this would be ideal or something. He said. I was like. God damn it, this is so perfect. You know, it's like a because you break the person's posture, you know, yeah. spine is curved, and this is the way you bridge, you know. It's like a headlock throw. So it's a perfect roll. So, and um, so there's a lot of, you know, Marcelo necktie stuff happening, you know, how they, how he escapes. And there's um, uh, some other, you know, grabbing the head kind of also what a little bit Gracie's are doing. They're like, you know, posting and wrapping the elbow and grabbing the head. Mm -hmm. And so, so a lot of times, even like the sitting, let's say the panda, yeah? the sitting turtle, there's a Henner Gracie and a Korean zombie, like nice. a clip. And Henner uses a little bit like sitting turtle, you know, mm -hmm. and even in back escapes, he grabs the toes. That's right. His elbows are kind of out. So we do also grab the toes and elbows are in. So it creates a fulcrum, you know, like mm -hmm. a toe hold. Elbows are pushed to the shins. So, and uh, we did it before this video actually came out. We were already playing with panda. Uh, so, but uh, clearly Henry is playing with this and he even said in a video, like nobody can, you know, defend this escape and it's one of the best I do, blah, blah, blah. So I, I somehow I find those things randomly in internet. Mm. I don't, I don't watch a lot of videos actually. Like I just watch good guys, you know, ADCC matches, some randomly, I don't watch everything. <laughs> and even in that way, I still find enough um enough interesting things mm -hmm. that uh, that uh people you know do like the same thing i promote all this late armbar stuff you know super late so it's like vinnie magalesh fabrice verdum gsp yeah. dan hardy 
Keenan Cornelius, Sean Roberts, you know. So those things just stick out to me over time. And then I, I saw this already like a five, six times. And I was like, there's something there that I don't see many people talking about it. Mm-hmm. Berniaki, Ber, uh, what's the Island guy? Yeah, oh. he was talking about something with Stephen Casting about it. But I think they did it, you know, one step further than I do. I went even back a little okay. bit more, um, uh, closer to what, what, what I can do. So they were playing with this. Hmm. Uh, but the evidence was there. And now it's, I call it reverse hitchhike. And I think it's even easier than the regular hitchhike. Uh, and so this evidence kind of sticks out to me. And if I see them repeatedly and against, uh, you know, Vinny Magalhães, Fabrice Verdum, you know, I was expecting the arm get broken. Yeah. Vinny is kind of flexible, but but there there was definitely something else there going on. And um, so I like those kind of, those, some other people, I think I've seen my, my friend Martin Eid, my Estonian first black belt that lives in Finland at the moment. He's been studying, uh, like, you know, doing anal- analyses of Gordon matches and stuff. So he mm-hmm. sees different things. Mm-hmm. But those, what I see, uh, they just hit me in the face like really hard. Like, like, like I saw this, uh, those armbar escapes, and I just, I got just like you know, hit in the face. I, I had to study it. I just, I, I knew I understand it mm-hmm. somehow if I keep keep it. So certain information kind of, kind of interests me. Mm. And uh, and also I'm like I said, I'm interested of extremes. So I like to be in a zero. And I like super late. So then for me, um, I, it's good to have like a, let's say, like a framework. Yeah. So yeah. it's a minimum, maximum, and that's my job to find out. And then we have a framework and then we move within the, within the frame. Because uh, then, you know, there's different kind of timing escapes that go between that. Mm-hmm. But my job is to find, uh, I feel like my job, I'm interested of to find the, the extremes the mm-hmm. framework, uh, what's possible, and then we can fill it with other stuff because the timings, there's so many different timings what we can do. And I'm definitely not saying that, you know, reverse heat checks and stuff are the best way. I'm just, that's the late, latest I know, mm-hmm. uh, latest we can do, explain. And what's the earliest? You know, earliest is not giving underhooks, you know? So, and everything, the YouTube is between there somewhere. So, I'm kind of interested of those things because I'm because I think the framework is necessary. What we're dealing with, how mm-hmm. how big is the bubble, you know? How big is the universe, you know? Uh, we have to kind of push it in science. Also, people pushing it all the time, defining out, you know, more light years, more light years. So, but what what are the, what is the bubble we're working with? So, I'm interested of the minimum and maximum. Is the and, yeah? So, of course. Is the is is the way you approach BJJ then is it's it's very it sounds very conceptual. Right? We're we're going from, I mean it's very common it, it's very common within within the gym to uh, for the coach to say okay I'm going to teach you like you said you know I'm going to teach you two techniques today, and then another new technique at the end of on Friday and then new technique the next week and then by the end of the year you have you know a collection of techniques that are all scattered. But you're you're seem to be you're approaching it in a more in a more conceptual way. Even even um, even your late armbar escape, right? Uh, the reverse hitchhiker. If I remember correctly, it's you're 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 scooting into your opponent's um, yes. side, 
right? Yeah. But you you don't really, at least from the videos I've seen, you you don't really say, okay, this is the this is the only way to do it. You just say, okay, these are some concepts that I'm playing with. You can try it out yourself. So it seems very conceptual. I guess it's uh, um, it's very dangerous always to say like you know this is it, everything is ready. Uh, what we have learned from other science fields is never nothing is never ready. They're always they're first they're pushing the boundaries by meters and then it becomes a millimeters. You know, it always science goes on. Always there's a new Intel processor, processor. You know, it's always something else. So, but I think what's what was weird for me, if I look it back, I, I, I didn't think about it before I, you know, let's say I discovered uh, reverse hitchhike or something made it a name or something, but uh, regular hitchhike works way better when you have a reverse hitchhike because then it's a jab cross game. Okay. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do also a video with the Fanatics about the late arm bars. And then I'm trying to also give my as much as I can do a regular hitchhike and then a reverse hitchhike, and I show how they work together. Because I think, uh, you know, when you do a regular hitchhike, um, I think the counter the regular hitchhike is to put the arm on a hip, you know. That's right. Yeah, but if you do that, the reverse hitchhike is there. You can't, mm. you cannot put the arm to that hip, because if the arm is on that hip, I would do the I would do the reverse hitchhike. Right. And if you if you counter the reverse hitchhike, that means you have to put the arm another hip. Then I can do a regular hitchhike. So me controlling this arm and finally getting this arm barring yeah. has to be there. So I'm playing with jab and cross. I can do jab, jab, cross, jab, cross, jab. Uh, I can play with those angles, and they both work together. So I don't. I think they they both have to be there uh, for for it to work. And it just makes sense to have jab cross games because then you can play a sport and it works forever mm. because of the timing issue because nobody has figured out jab cross in a boxing as a defensive it still works after hundreds of years because of different rhythm patterns and all those things. So if it's only hitchhike and then arm to another hip, yeah, it's killed. But I will do the fake regular hitchhike and then do a reverse hitchhike because you put the arm where I have to, you know, where, where it has to be for a regular hitchhike. Uh, sorry, a reverse hitchhike. So, uh, so if I look at back, so that's what's strange that um, we haven't seen people talking about it. You know that it should be it should be logical to have opposites always working, and then it can play. It's uh, over the regular hitchhike is over dominated, hmm. and already people are having like good answers for it by grabbing the you know the putting the arm on a other other hip, and um, so but when you have a regular hitchhike. It actually makes the armbar finishing better because now you have to go with both, and that's the only way to get really good in armbars. Because mm. if you have both escapes and all other stuff we can do about armbars, and then and then you, you you give people the biggest possibility, I think, to figure out how to finish an armbar in the end end stage. Because so I think if you watched my videos, then you understand I'm always saying this that people tap too early. Yeah. You 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 um, have this, yeah. you have this um, jab 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 um, uh, analogy that you always use. What do you what do you mean by that exactly? Because you keep you know you always you always uh, draw the analogy between boxing and BJJ as an art. But you're saying, look, you can't. You got to we we got to start approaching it as a sport. So, 
What is the, what is the jab jab that you keep talking about in BJJ? How does it look like? Uh, jab jab is you know literally like a one one two or yeah. one two one or uh, like would be like I would like we're talking about this um, hitchhike thing. I would I would try to do like a fake hitchhike, you know, fake regular hitchhike, mm -hmm. and I expect you to do this defense, and then I do a reverse hitchhike. But I would do first. I would test it with my body. I would kind of test it, and then I would see your body mechanics, and do you do you fall for a fake? Yeah, <clears throat> do you fall for a fake? And then if I feel it, you don't fall for a fake, and you don't uh, you don't pull the arm or the other hip. Then I do the regular hitchhike. It's mm -hmm. like you know, like a jab, jab, and I boom, and I really hit you because there's no defense. Okay. But if I feel my jab creates a reaction in your body, that means I feel you want to torque the arm to another hip. Then I, I feel it, feel it. Then I know your body mechanics because you can't hide it. Mm -hmm. And then I'm gonna do jab. Then I'm gonna do like a regular hitchhike, and then right away jab cross to. So I play it like a combination. Okay. That I, I predict the future, because I know your body has to like a jerk, like a pull the other side. And that accelerates me to the reverse hitchhike because you helped me to go that side. So I'm using kind of like a, you know, in that sense, I call it sport. Uh, it's a it's, I had actually my good friend from Trinidad Tobago uh, message me and maybe said like, I will be at some point trapped in that sport argument. <laughs> but I, I uh, uh, because I think he was right. But what I mean by it's, it's, at the moment, I'm trying to drag the conversation from the art part to the sport. And then not all sport is good. Mm -hmm. You know, people in, a, let's say, in a, a lift, weightlifting world also do crazy things with their bozo balls and rubber bands, you know. So not everything is functional in a sport. So they do also like weird stuff. But we have to pull the conversation out of the art stuff to the sport part. And to, to, to talk about... Jiu-Jitsu like uh, wrestling or boxing. Hmm. I'm not against the art part. I think it's just the martial arts. I don't know. People like that, you know. That's why some people are drawn to the martial art world because it's a, uh, you know, philosophy or whatever it is. I think it's tagged. You know, it's it's extra. It doesn't hmm. have to be there. It can be there also, but it's a cultural thing. Um, but uh, we have to train it as a sport because we cannot go like let's say what I mean by that is. By, the, by art and sport is mm -hmm. many times you do a, like, let's say a far side arm bar. Yeah. You do a side control far side arm bar and you go like 10 repetitions. Yeah. But the bad part is it works different in a live situation. Understand? Mm -hmm. So we have to do this way. We have to see what is the reality. Yeah. You see what is our sport. Yeah. How people grapple. And we have to train the way it work, it looks. Understand, right? But because right now it is like we do a crazy warm up, we do like a dead techniques, and then we spar. But yeah. sparring is sometimes, most of the times, very different the way we also learn techniques. So we have to learn as as similarly techniques as the way we spar. Mm -hmm. Because in a sparring match. You have setups, you have those tricking things, you have feints, fakes, yeah? You misdirection. So we would have to teach jiu-jitsu like this, you know, like uh, you also do boxing like this. You create those misdirections and then you hit the jab cross and find a neck kick, but 
all these misdirection fakes and stuff are included into the technique. So, and then you spar, and then you can actually use it the way you learn. So in jiu-jitsu, we, we just teach technique, and then mat, mat rats can make it work because they are on the mat so much, and they develop the different timing to go to arm bars, different, because it could be like, let's say, far arm bar, far side arm bar. It could be like, you know, you do a one, two, three, four steps, you know, mm-hmm. on your knees, and finally you add that arm, and then you do arm bars. But in reality, maybe you have to go like one, two, three, four, five, and then arm bar. Or maybe one, three, four, two, you know, and then arm bar. Understand? Different numbers and stuff. So in reality, it's different. So, and how do we create the drills and uh, all the resistance and everything else to train it, to mimic it as much as mm-hmm. we can? So this thing we, we learn would work the same way in sparring. Yeah, so... It's, uh, you know, that's the core of scientific method. You observe the nature, you do an experiment. If the experiment doesn't correlate with the nature, then the experiment is wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if the experiment is exactly like nature, the experiment was right. So, so I think we should teach it backwards. Okay. It kind of kills a little bit. I think recreational people will maybe feel more sad because it becomes more like a sport, you know? I know some jiu-jitsu clubs are, you know, some people don't like to spar. They like the technique part, you know. They're learning technique without the resistance and they're feeling good. They're learning something new. And maybe the time comes time to spar and they don't enjoy it that much because they're not good at this environment because what they learned is not functional in that environment. Because when you actually learn a sweep from De La Riva or whatever, you have to know the basic reactions, you know, resistance how they're gonna so it's never gonna be like a you know somebody falls and you're inside control in reality there's gonna be turtling fighting for a top blah 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 you know and so how do you mimic that so so that's all my message so that's the sport part so it's not gonna be just crazy sweating and all those things but i mean like you know playing it as a sport so that's what what i mean by art and a sport Mm. i still think like a sport done in the highest level is a very good art form so the terminology is you know they can you know kind of fuzzy but i wish i i hope you understand what i mean and also the listeners that what i mean when I, it's art is kind of like i'm a sport yeah is the so then the, i'm assuming the way you would instill this this way of, of practicing is you would probably do a lot of positional sparring and then specific sparring as opposed to just pure drill okay we're going to do dead drilling just do that you know for 30 minutes uh yes so our typical class i actually want to do when the, this madness gets over i was uh, next in some next club to the camp um, i would actually like to do my regular class how i teach in a class because i think uh, some people have asked for it a lot of people actually have asked for it mm-hmm. and how do i you know yeah, how do i i teach a class so basically we have eight to ten minutes of warm-up uh we still do like a running around and knees knee lifts and all those things and some squat routines and animal movements and rolling because for many people it's the only time they move during the week so we do a basic warm-up but i would say if you if you train more than two times per week so then you can maybe for warm-up you can drill or some more sport specific drilling or something 
But for that purposes, we still do a regular warm up for our everyday person. So they just move, you know, extensions and all kind of stuff. So, and then 20 minutes is technique, um, maybe one or two, usually very, that's very usually connected. Uh, some fixing mistake stuff and something simple that, um, that could fit in that 20 minutes, you know, showing stuff, they try kind of dead, they talk to each other, they switch on their own, fixing mistakes, showing again. And then if you start the class at six, then six, uh, 10 is, you know, technique, 6.30, we start to drill. Pretty much that's the format, most cases. And then 30 minutes, we have two to three minute uh, drills uh, with resistance, progressive resistance, no okay. talking. Um, and then, and not in a first switch, but maybe in a second round, we drill again, and then we have a feedback. Uh, so the defender or somebody that gave it a resistance tells the other guy what was good, what could have been better. So then they get a specific personal feedback for them that's mm -hmm. necessary because I cannot monitor 20 people. Yeah, I see what's overall missing, but not what's personally missing. So they get a really, really good feedback. And we usually we do a third drill also. Okay. And then we have a couple of minutes left to fix mistakes. And then we have a sparring. So then it's full hour. 30 minutes is drilled, and then we have a full hour of sparring. Some people spar, most people spar 30 minutes, some people, you know, 45 minutes and stuff. And then we have rules. I think that's very, very important, that example. Um, when we did um, rolling back takes against the leg locks, then uh, the rule was that uh, the guard player, more than average, has to attack the legs. Yeah, he has to attack the legs more than average. Even you like it or mm -hmm. don't, it doesn't matter. And then, then I could do rolling back takes against the, you know, against the leg locks. And if I go rolling back takes against the leg locks, then the the risk taking is rewarded by lowering resistance of defense to sixty percent or something like this. Understand? So if I attack your legs, and if you're able to jump to my back, to you know, try to trade, do the technique we just learned in the class. And I will lower resistance to 60. And I will defend, but I will not destroy your attempt. And if the sparring moves already to, towards the back take, I can up resistance again. But that new thing we just studied, the resistance was lowered. So the risk is rewarded. Okay. And people are jumping to that because they know they get to play because other person has to let them play. Yeah? Other way... If you just jump to new thing and the resistance is 100%, it's going to be destroyed and your motivation is, is you know, goes down. So, and that's full 40, 45 minutes for 30 minutes, whatever you roll, we have those rules. Okay. You have to lower resistance and the risk has to be rewarded. So is, people can, can try new things right away in a sparring and they want to try new things. And so, and the, mm. then the sparring is purposeful, purposeful. Mm. And then also what happens is uh, when the topic changes, you know, sometimes we do two months, one month or whatever, a couple of weeks, the topics, then the sparring is always different. Mm. Understand? So because the, the rules are forcing different sparring environments. So people cannot do those things they're good at, but their, their, their incentive is there to try new things. Uh, and then they can roll whatever they want or however they want during the open mats and all those things, you know? And also during the regular sparring, it's not like all the time they have to try new things, you know, they're yeah. still going to do some things, but 
that thing was new, that thing, what was new is also part of the sparring automatically. Mm. So retention rate is way better. Okay. So that's also the way we spar because I, I see too much of this, like people after, after, you know, class, they just roll and they end up doing what they're doing, not, not learning new things, not adding stuff because it's hard, because it's mm -hmm. new. And then the more you do it, you don't train the new thing in a week. So it's gone already. So the retention rate is, and then you just lost everything. So, and I'm still amazed that actually this kind of methodology is actually very common uh, in jiu-jitsu world. I know some people will go right away, no, we do this. But if you go around, you will, you know, some people stay, do positional sparring and those things. But uh, those, what I just explained, the lowering resistance and stuff, mm -hmm. yeah, in those, those cases, it's not very common. I can understand those, you know, post drills, you know, somebody goes only guard passing, guard passing. That's isolation and th those things are good, but we can go deeper. And um, so I think in that part, also this way I'm emphasizing more sport. That, that's also I consider like a sport practice more, more deliberate practice. Uh, less, you can Google the term, you know, that it's always meaningful, yeah? Yeah. Like you, you, so that's very important. So this is also kind of like from the art to the sport. So, so that's kind of maybe I, I will find a better name for this sport thing because it's maybe it's too overall name, you know. Okay. Uh, but but so that's what I'm always mostly emphasizing. It's not, and art art is very subjective, and in art I mean like it's dead, you know. But also the sport is kind of art form, so it's mm. you know. I probably some smart people have to tell me how to use my terminology better, but 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 uh, if they are if they listen to me, I think they understand what I'm trying to say. And it reminds me the way the way you're describing how you teach your student reminds me of um, uh, the book Peak by Anders Ericsson, yeah. the neuroscientist. Is that yeah, so? I, I, that's one of the books I usually recommend to people. Um, that really kind of uh, I really liked it. And the, that book, book is all about feedback, 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 you know, feedback loops, uh, like Tiger Woods feedback loops. And, mm -hmm. and so and, uh, it's, and uh, of course, you know, I'm a big proponent of the feedback. And uh, I, I always go like, why people don't, we should all use feedback way more. Mm -hmm. And feedback is very weird thing that in a, it's not majority clubs don't use it in our world. It's, a, it's actually, I think, looked down upon. Yeah, it's a very weird thing that you like, you know, like, like smart ass, you know, that but it, people want to help each other. Yeah. And during the drills, you notice what your partner does good, what can he could do better. And why not let them talk to each other and mm. with them um, with the uh, points that I give them to watch, you know, they're not going to talk about some, you know, random things that maybe white belts just can go, you know, can go like left a little bit with their feedback. But uh, I can tell them what to monitor yeah, for me. So because I'm a coach, I can't manage 20 people to see all the time what they're doing. So I tell them what to watch. And they criticize those points. Um, and it's a, it can be a 50, 60, or 100 people class. And it can feel like a private class because of the feedback you get. And like every sports book talks about the feedback that is necessary. Mm -hmm. You make corrections. And you do it again. You make corrections. And uh, it's so underused methodology. It's just cry. I'm just crying for help here. 
And uh, some people I know don't like it. Oh, I don't like the feedback and blah, blah, blah. But if you don't like the feedback, then it's your job to give feedback to all the 20 people personally. Mm. And you can't do it. It's impossible. So you have to, even if you like it or not, it's not about even that. So it kind of stresses me out usually Then people say, oh, they don't use feedback. They're like, you're just making your job actually harder as a coach. And uh, you're, you're taking opportunity away from your students, so to speak, mm -hmm. to get better, to feel that they're talked to, you know, mm -hmm. that um, their, their game is under magnifying glass by somebody, you know, somebody uh, takes mm -hmm. care of them, you know, other way, it's overall feedback. Oh, guys, everything seems to be okay. You know, like regular yeah. feedback from the coach. That, that does nothing for your game. Mm -hmm. It's like overall, you feel like, oh, shit. It's just like, it's nothing you, you benefit for. It. Yeah. So I feel I'm, I'm with coaches who say like they don't let white belt and blue belt teach. I think in one context it's right because white belts, blue belts, they don't have much knowledge. What can be right and what could be wrong. But you can tell them what to watch. I can give them three, four points do the resistance and watch those points. Mm -hmm. And uh, also if they're training with other white belt, they don't need super specific feedback because mm -hmm. they're white belts. They need overall feedbacks that your elbow was in a wrong place, you know, like this or that. So white belts do this and that feedback is already decent. And then when they get like blue belt and purple, then you are able to give better feedback because they need a more detailed feedback because they're already in that level. So I don't understand those, those coaches and those arguments that say, oh, we don't let teach beginners to teach. Yep. Because I think beginners has to teach because that's the best way to retain information by talking about it. Yes. And if you're just doing the feedback, you gave, people, you gave people feedback that keep your elbows close, keep your elbows close, and then it's your time to drill. Mm -hmm. You look really stupid when you don't keep your elbows close. Yeah. Because you just tell, told other person that keep your elbows close. So by talking about it, by explaining something to somebody, it's one of the best way to retain information. You know, that's what science says. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why not do it? Um, and it's a social interaction, better making friends, you know, making social bonds, helping each other. And so there's so many other side effects that are good. So I don't know. It's, it's, I do it. In my club tour camps, occasionally I've done it because classes are kind of short, so it's more like a lecture style, mm -hmm. lecture type. But but definitely, I'm gonna I'm gonna press that button more, so the feedback will go around, you know, through through the clubs more, and people will feel the benefits of it. Yeah, the 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 book, the Peak by um, Anders Ericsson, it, it 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 opened my eyes and really changed the way I understood how we humans can learn best. You know the there's the, the final part of his deliberate practice, you know, when he says, look, feedback loop is crucial. If you want to become an expert in any field, you need feedback. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I don't know why I never thought about that, you know, before reading this book. But there's the other thing that, I, that, I, that, I, that got me thinking with when you were saying, you know, you let white belts or newcomers teach is for the majority of people who come in to train BJJ tend to be adults, right? maybe like 21 plus. And generally they are well-educated and they know they're, they're adults. They know they have 
they've learned how to learn for the most part. So what I find is sometimes there have been coaches who've said, if you're a white belt, you can't say anything. Keep your mouth shut. I'm going to show you, and then you guys go do this. Keep your mouth shut. Yeah, I don't like it because I actually dislike it a lot um, because people are treating white belts as white belt people. Mm, mm. And uh, that is super dangerous because if somebody has a white belt, usually you know, they're a family member, they're finished universities and stuff, and they're engineers. Yeah. They're pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's why I like to some, uh, talk to people also like white belts and blue belts and the other people to, to understand what they're about, you know? And I'm sometimes I just sit my mouth open just to see like how smart they are. So for people to say, oh, you're a white belt, you, they have studied, they have done, you know, homework in schools, they have lectured, they have helped others in school, you know, they know how to give feedback. And if you, they're not, that's the craziest thing. We treat the people like white belt people. Mm-hmm. They're actually quite smart. So why not use it? They're, they're not very educated in jujitsu maybe, but they know how to constructively criticize. They, they, you know, so it's a really silly argument that, um, that uh, just, oh, white belts and they're going to ruin and they're going to show a new sweep from the YouTube, you know, but I, I would, I would say it, it's like, um, but let them, the sweep from YouTube be like a treat that if they were, if they told the white belt or if they told then white belts to keep their elbows close, you know, then I don't mind they're teaching somebody the crazy YouTube sweep also, understand? So let them have a treat. Mm. So if you did everything to the white belt as a blue belt, you told them the some zero point and you made made sure that the elbows are close and all those you know points, zero points structure is solid. I don't mind that you show the goofy sweep. Yeah. So it's it can never be that strict, you know, that you only have to teach like linear on the best thing. It's the teaching jiu-jitsu, it's always messy. It's not a linear, linear like rote. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's very easy to shut, cut it, you know, like white belts, blue belts don't teach. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think also by helping them how to teach, like I said before, it's one of the best ways to retain information by explaining something to others. And then also, if you start teaching when you're white belt, then uh, by the time you get a black belt, you have six to ten years of teaching, you know, experience because you start by just teaching the overall things as a white belt keep your elbows close and then it becomes more specific you know so it's not going to be like you never taught so to speak and in a black belt level you're an awesome teacher not going to happen so as soon as you are able to understand something it's pretty much you know in a first day you can also give constructive feedback you can express your opinions by the things i would you know i will let you I will tell you to watch what people do mm-hmm. and your job is to give a good feedback so they will understand and you also feel good when they actually did something and you made them better. And also if I feel you made me better, I want to help you back because, mm-hmm. you know, if you did a shitty, shitty job, then I'm not going to help you also by, by the nature. I'm going to do a less effective job. So the incentive is there. Yeah, that's it. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think the argument is flawed, and the people who said that they they they're lazy in the mind, 
and uh, they will lose the argument of not letting white belts and blue belts teach in a five seconds. Mm. So a lot of those, like easy, uh, like at first it looks logical, you know, oh, white belts and blue belts shouldn't teach. No, it's, uh, yes, maybe not teach a class, you know, but they can handle small tasks. So do just to throw a, throw a baby out with the baby, you know, the, the bathing water, what's that called? Yeah. Yeah. Throw out the baby yeah. with the bath water. Yeah. Bath water. Yeah. So that's kind of dangerous. So mm. give them a small task they can handle and they can handle bigger tasks. And that's how you, you know, grow, grow people. Yeah. So I find a lot of those, you know, arguments are a lot of, there's a lot of flawed arguments in Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. And it's just an easy fix. Oh, just don't teach, you know, yeah. but it's quite dangerous. We have to go, we have to be smarter. There's, there's, a, there's a very uh, cultish, um, cultish mindset in jiu-jitsu where it's like um, somehow if you're the black belt, if, if you're the black belt, then you have all the knowledge to all the world. And so, you know, if, if a new, uh, someone who's say blue, purple, whatever, they may have a different technique or a different way of doing something. Black belt always not all not all black belts, but there are certain black belts who will say, No, 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 this is completely wrong. You know, you have to do it the way I'm I'm teaching it, and there's no other way, which seems very it's a very very narrow way of looking at jujitsu. You know, we have jujitsu you can incorporate folk style wrestling into jujitsu. You can incorporate Greco wrestling. So we had, I had this, uh, a buddy of mine who did Greco wrestling in, oh, I forget which country he was in, but he, anyways, he came in and I was like, okay, what, have you done jiu-jitsu before? He's like, no. So I was like, okay, what, do you, what, what position do you feel most comfortable? And it's like, well, the most, you know, I did Greco wrestling, but I, you know, I did the uh, freestyle wrestling as well. So I'll, I'll start with the head and arm on you. He's like, okay. So we started there and I couldn't get out. He was, he, you know, and he's stocky and he's strong and he's very, he's very technical in, in the wrestling. So then afterwards, I was like, oh, okay, can you, can you actually show me how to do this? Because it's not like I haven't learned it, but I've learned it, but it's just the way he was doing it. It was very different. And so in terms of, um, in terms of, in terms of your students in class giving feedbacks, did you, have you found that when they do, when they actually are giving feedbacks to other students, that you've seen uh, their rate of improvement go up much more significantly? Uh, I mean, I don't know how you quantify that. Yeah. 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 Hard, hard to measure when you're always in, in the environment, you know? If somebody would go away for uh, three months and come back, maybe they would see something. But I would say, I would say it's, uh, it's different. And I, I would, I, I'm not saying they're going to stop rocket then you know we're producing all the best athletes clearly not that's not that's not the case and we have some competitors but but uh, i would say they're getting better we just maybe i am maybe too harsh with the belt side and we're kind of let's say holding them back or uh we're, we're kind of stricter maybe than we have to but they're getting good and i think this kind of freedom of like you said of giving feedback and all those things and um kind of freedom, I don't know how to call it, how to call it better. Uh, there is something different in that mm. when you, when you give that freedom of feedback to people and mm. when, when they roll with beginners and uh, it's and always fun to watch when, how they explain to beginners. 
because now the new generation is coming up. I think it's interesting because, uh, uh, like I said, defensively that, that there's that's weird to roll with them uh, uh, because they're not they're, they're shutting down themselves. You know, they're just everything you have to dig. It's not gonna be like they're gonna winning the fights, but it's not gonna be. It's not at the moment like rolling with regular white, but some blue, mm. but to make a submission left or right. You know, I have to work for things. And so I'm very intrigued and very fascinated because it's still a big lab, you know, like a laboratory. So I'm, I'm, I'm finding how my ideas are working, you know. And also when I watch people give feedback to beginners in like, oh, they're talking about those postures, you know, and they're somehow because everybody wants to give feedback. But when you don't have those postures, it's kind of hard to give feedback because it's, uh, it's all scattered around. So the zeros and all those things, they're. They're giving you better uh, base for giving feedback stuff. So, and helping this way each other, I think it, it makes people better. Hmm. And it uh, and also they 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 can be sure that what they're giving is let's say valuable. Yeah. Other way, if you don't have those zero points, you give feedback here, 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 and maybe yeah. it doesn't help so much. So I think uh, my my. You know, higher belts, blue belts, and up—they're they're actually helping the beginners make making—they're um, making them better, faster. Mm -hmm. Because at the moment we have—I think we have four black belts in my club. Yeah. We have two. Um, we have two brown belts. So I think, um, and I think a bunch of, not so much, but a bunch of purples and stuff. I feel. We have to push more to up, so the purples and browns are more there, yeah. and they drag every everybody up. So uh, we're not so top heavy yet. So, but I think they're getting there. So I, I clearly see a bunch of purples and stuff happening during the next six months or a year, and so I think it's gonna then it's gonna be just multiplied. It's getting better, and uh, I'm I like to think that this methodology has helped them. You know, mm. to to understand to play and uh, definitely this uh, this sparring thing i explained that you're praising stuff and taking risk and it's going to be a reward i feel this has changed a lot of things and it's actually not not always i've done this um i've done similar things but this this methodology i've used maybe a year two years or something and it's clearly the playfulness in a sparring matches and stuff and regular rolling i i clearly see a difference Mm. that people are implying that we did like a golf cross class you know in a couple of months ago i think and you know a single submission golf cross is super weird to put into the game you know how mm. do you force it to happen so but somehow we pulled it off and i would say like 80 percent of people did a golf crash in their you know first couple of rows during the sparring I was like, oh my God, this is like wonderful. That because it's usually risky to just put the single submission yeah. in. You know, how do you create those situations? So I forced bottom guy to play something and then top guy could roll and stuff, you know? So, but, uh, so that has been wonderful to see that kind of forced praising and reward stuff, incentives. And, um, yeah, I would say it's a couple of years I've done it, but yeah. uh, now this playfulness and stuff has brought people up. Uh, faster than before what changed your mind if, if you i don't know yeah <laughs> so if if you ask me what why i did certain things and how it started and i don't know probably some book 
And let's say if somebody asks me, somebody did actually like preet, how did they come up with that panda, you know, sitting yeah. turtle? Sitting turtle, yes. Then I don't know. I knew always I liked Teles. Okay. Teles plays it a bit, but I don't know why I started, you know, intensively play panda somehow mm. and that I feel, felt that something is there to study at, as a position. Because I knew wrestlers are doing it, you know, wrestling sit-out. Yes. Uh, panda is more forward, wrestling sit-out is more leaning back. So there's opposite, jab and cross. So wrestlers are doing it. You know, Teles was doing it. So I don't know, if you ask me how come Preet did like a sitting turtle and now it's kind of like my signature thing that people know me about, mm -hmm. that no other coach is usually teaching. It's like, I don't know. I, I don't know why. So it's kind of hard to look back. And this methodology, I, I think it was some kind of, you know, evolution that I already, we already did maybe some, you know, definitely rolling in sparring. We did maybe in a couple of rounds, special rules, you know, that only try, only if you do like arm bar, like side control arm bar stuff, that maybe we said you can only do arm bars in the first three rounds, you know, no other submissions that everybody had to go to the arm bar, you know, and then after the third round, you can do all submissions. Hmm. So, so that was probably the more simple version of this, you know, you just narrow it. That's, that's what a lot of, a lot of people do. It's not very new, you know, but then maybe we played with the rules and maybe how do, you know, force the defender do something, then attack against some, do something. And then it's all kind of mixture of all rounds. So then praising, rewarding stuff. Uh, because otherwise, like we did like a crab ride, um, crab ride system, like a couple of months, yeah, upside down stuff. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to be there if the resistance is hundred percent. You know, people destroy it because it's so goofy thing to do uh, upside down. And the leg work is crazy. You have to be dexterity and you know crazy like pummeling skills. And if somebody just adds hundred percent resistance, you're not gonna spend time there because there's no way you're gonna stay there. So also there we, we had like 60% and guys like pummeling back, you know, dealing with late defense more. So the guy that does the grab right can still, you know, get his time there. And uh, so that was the only way to force so those complex games on people. Mm. Otherwise, the motivation to do them was hard because it's like nobody could stay there. So we had to come up with some, some rules because rolling back takes against leg locks it's not very very easy thing to do because you, you have to jump behind people's back mm -hmm. like uh, behind the hips and crab rides and so i think this rewarding thing is one of the best one of the best ways to you know incentivize people that because it's not like a single move or it's full game is there actually and it's quite complex and it's not very you know very slow in that sense right so I feel so I think I feel it's kind of like evolution that I just had to figure out how to, you know, force certain things in games, and I, I feel that I didn't do it before. So I, I, I would say a couple of years. It's kind of crazy because I would wish I would do it all the time. I would do it all the time because probably we did something similar, but clearly this is different. And as much as I've been talking to people, that uh, then. People also are like, oh, this is interesting, and how do you have rewards and stuff, and you know. So we'll see how it evolves. Do you have a? Do you have any way of like? Do you have a system, systematic way of incorporating new ideas that you're playing with? So let's say, well, let's say before you started playing Panda, right? Let's go like right before you started playing Panda. 
how did you incorporate it? How did you start doing it? Where you're like, okay, I see this. Um, I see these wrestlers. They do the sit-outs all the time. So let me just try from that position, reading back. Uh, that's the that's the crazy part. If you ask me, I'm really I'm I'm starting to smile when you ask this because I don't know. Oh, you don't know at all. <laughs> no, I, I literally don't know because it's um it's like a slow process of adding certain things, playing, and finally, oh, it's a panda. Mm. But why did it happen? And I, ha I have no memory. Uh, it's the same thing how turtle happened. Let's say yeah. if you, turtle zero point, yeah? If you ask me, Preet, what did you do before this turtle zero point? What, is, what was your turtle like? I have no record, what's the record? Recollection. Recollection of yeah. this. I don't know what I did in turtle. <laughs> I have, because there was no way of systemizing my knowledge. Okay. Understand? So right now I know exactly what I do in turtle, like mm. what sweeps and stuff. If I abandon something, go back to zero, add another sweep. Right now I can tell you exactly what I'm doing. I have a, like a, like a, you know, before this and after this period with all this grilled chicken stuff, you know, open guard stuff. Yeah, probably, you know, it happened after I got my black belt. Uh, 2012 and 2013 was the Galvao and Braulio match that yeah. started the open guard thing for me. And probably, you know, somebody gave me a black belt, so probably my guard was okay. But if you ask me what did I do before Grilled Chicken, what guard I played, and I, I, I was like, I have no clue. Hmm. I, I have no, because there was no system, system of that, you know. It was probably random sweeps and just pummeling and everything. But now we have that rotisserie chicken position that I always return back to and fight from that mm -hmm. position. And turtle is, you know, you turn around and basically butterfly guard is that position sitting up and then you hang your head, it becomes a panda. So all those kind of, we call the pocket knife, you know, like, like everything is crouched in. So uh, now I can, uh, there's definitely in each position, there is after and before. Mm. And I know exactly what I do. If you ask me about turtle or grilled chicken or whatever, so it was. It's very weird to think that I have no like memory of what what happened before. And panda is also probably I did something, you know, like that semi worked. And then I figured out kind of keep my elbows are tucked and you know, and then it worked. And then it's okay. Then it's panda. And I remember still in 2017 when I did it in Clover the camps. I think I think it started. People looked at me as I was crazy because I was sitting, you know, like facing the facing back towards them and did my you know panda and stuff and they were like what the f is that <laughs> and uh, i was testing it seeing how it worked uh, and then uh, i didn't know i was i knew it was working enough to do it but everybody thought i was crazy mm. because not many people you know people don't like a lot of people don't like tell us uh, and turtle is you know bashed down in the jiu-jitsu community don't play turtle and all those nonsense nonsense sentences as you know turtle is a transitional position and all this crap uh, every escaping position is actually transitional position but to make a transition happen in the fastest time you have to stand you have to spend there the most time you understand so mount bottom is a transitional position but mm. to make a quick escape you have to stay there the longest you know so in a fight you cannot stay st in a fight you cannot stay still so uh, just to just to elaborate more 
usually I've heard all my life that turtle is a transitional position, but those people are wrong. Uh, and uh, every escaping position is a transitional position. Mm. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to stay in mount bottom in bunches also. Mm. So you escape right away when mount happens, you know. But and that's a quick escape, you know, quick quick uh, answer to that very very dangerous problem. But to make that quick answer, you have to have the biggest knowledge capacity. That means you have to stay in a mount the longest. Mm. So of course I'm not saying in a MMA fight you have to stay in a turtle, you know, get out, create a scramble, you know, like stand up, blah blah blah. But to make all those decisions, you have to stay there the longest. Yeah, and then I'm not staying as long as I do sometimes, but you have to have enough experience to make a quick decision under pressure. Mm-hmm. So that means you have to have exposure to this a lot. So to call it transitional position is just stupid. And uh, turtle gets a lot of bashing from in jiu-jitsu, so I'm trying. I'm trying to slowly, slowly change it all the time. Mm. And I've already given get so much feedback that people like more turtle. They understand now they're safe. Somebody actually posted on my Facebook uh, timeline that now the Telus DVD makes more sense mm. uh, because Telus doesn't. He shows a little bit, but Telus doesn't show on his DVDs how he's so super safe. So, but uh, so I'm trying to answer that problem by actually saying what Telus does, I think, mm. and then Telus's TVD makes so much sense because all those sweeps are actually very hard to pull off when you're not safe in turtle because you're just getting under attack all the time and you yeah. don't have time to pull off those sweeps. So when you understand those zero points and how to stay safe, then the Telus's TVD is like magic. Mm. Because if you fail, you go back to zero point. If yeah. you fail, go back, then try again, try again, finally pull it off. So, so, so I'm, I'm advocating more that because clearly Telus has more experience. He knows more sweeps. He has done it in the highest level of a sport. I can't compete with that. But uh, what sadly he's not explaining, I don't know, well, is how he's so safe. So my DVD and everything was more about just how to stay super safe, do nothing. Mm. So that's what, I, what I'm good at, I understand. And I'm, that's how his system evolves, you know, those pandas and everything else. So I feel that's, that's I don't know, those ideas are, are for me easy. Mm. And um, so, and building complexity, I would say that's your style. Yeah. The, I think with ADCC, turtle turtle's definitely going to become more important because it's a it's zero points in ADCC, right? You switch yeah. to turtle. Everyone goes to turtle the moment they feel attacked. Yeah, that's what I'm. I'm that, that's what's also like. I don't know. Lachlan guys are also talking about it. That uh, he actually gave me props in somewhere in Reddit, I think. Also, so and I I still don't see people studying turtle. Mm. Um, I don't know. Telus should be like the most, I don't know, most booked coach. You know, people have now two years again to, you know, to prepare for ADCC. Yeah. And two years is pretty good for uh, making a wrestling better and also turtle. It's plenty of time. So, yeah. So I could help, you know, why not? Uh, Telus knows probably what he's doing. So, mm-hmm. but it, it, you still see like, uh, still quick feet, uh, quick back takes in, you know, ADCC and all those things. So, 
So it's still not there. Definitely, if you compare it to people's open guard and you know passing, yeah. the escaping part is not is definitely lagging behind. Mm. And if somebody passes and stuff, so definitely there's a level difference right away. So a guy in top is way better than usually the guy in bottom. Yeah. What did you think of the ADCC that just happened? Did you watch it? Uh, actually, I haven't watched it fully. Okay. So I only see like a single matches maybe. So now I have a I'm not in current quarantine. Quarantine. But yeah. I think I will find a way to watch the ADCC now in some point. Right now, I'm very busy with Assassin's Creed. Uh, all to say, I'm already playing. I already I, I played a little bit before, you know, six months before this. So altogether, I'm played with previous uh, maybe 15 hours. Right now, it's 135 hours. Oh my goodness, that's so crazy! So never ends. So probably Estonia will be quarantined least April also. Ooh, okay. So yeah. uh, probably in May, we don't know at the moment. So I have a month left. So I know I have everything thought out. I will watch ADCC and I yeah. play more a little bit. So I, I'm dragging it out. Are you, are you, are you, have you started incorporating leg, the leg lock game into the way you teach in your teaching generally, actually? Uh, I think, uh, let's say, um, we're trying to implement leg locks in our gym where we're, we were just uh, starting with a, with a 50-50 game before mm -hmm. this uh, virus thing happened. Yeah. Uh, we're, I would say, if I say we're average as a gym, um, I, I think it's correct. I, I don't like to brag about my leg locks, uh, but I'm not there yet, let's say to, to 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 feel as 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 comfortable as I do in side control or back escapes, whatever, because I have to understand it more. Mm. But I I don't know. It's just uh, in the context of average, I know yeah. enough that um, leg locks and stuff. But it's still fascinating the transition and all those things. So I'm definitely catching up. Um, I can I love to roll with uh, with he looks both in and out or whatever yeah. i do he looks in in our gym he looks are allowed in a gi also mm. we do it we do them since beginners after a after a beginner's course we we have actually like a leg lock class leg lock beginner's course yeah. and leg lock main group in a fridays so we teach he looks the beginners mm, we do he looks in a gi i think it's even harder because there's no slipper you can't pull the legs out there's more yeah. friction and uh, so I don't do IBJF jiu-jitsu. I just do jiu-jitsu and then people compete under different rules. So um, uh, definitely, I would say I'm catching up. Yeah. And uh, knowing me, uh, definitely I'm trying to, you know, systemize it. Mm. But, uh, but I think people overall, what I've seen, are doing a pretty good job of defending leg locks. You know, uh, Rusi Malpahala's Alan Belcher match was a was a wonderful study. Uh, then Gary Donon, you know the EBI matches. Mm. Gary Donon, Eddie Cummings, you know the, yeah. the the match they had. It's like a you know leg lock instructional. Uh, so and also by the way, the the heel turn, you yep. know, you have a heel this way. This is a regular hitchhike. 
you turn heat. This is a reverse hitchhike, you know. Mm -hmm. They they both work similarly. So um, and the, you know the late armbar is very similar to the heel slip in heel hook. Where you turn the, your heel inwards. Yeah, they they slip the heel. You know, very very good guys in the end they slip the heel. And uh, so when people usually criticize me, oh, you're doing super late arm bars, it's bad and it's dangerous. Look at the heel hook escapes people do, <laughs> like super late. Like that's the evidence that I'm running with and we can do the same in arm bars in every choke, in all the submissions actually. <clears throat> we can have a late stuff. So that's the hypothesis. Uh, because right now I think I was studying and trying to understand also Darces, Marces, Farces, Barces, Larces, Anacondas and all those things also. And so, and Kimuras also, yeah. that, that was ra randomly studying. Uh, but, uh, but leg locks, yes, probably knowing me, I will try to maybe systemize it, you know. Mm. But uh, I feel that um, the, the work is already, I'm not going to say like, oh, I'm going to bring revolutionize the escapes, you know. Because somehow people are acting way better during the leg lock escapes than uh, in positional escapes in upper body. And it's very strange. Mm. And all this, you know, there's carry, carry ton on clips in YouTube that you can see free that when he points the heel and just gives the leg away, you know, a yeah. little bit tilted. So you can pull out, pull the leg out right away. So there is also evidence of those escaping zero points as a positional zero point you can put your leg in that there's no achilles there's no heel hook there's no knee bar and uh, it's interesting also what i see through my lens that there is positions you can put your leg in and you're safe mm. and you just have to keep the angle if they you know you angle is this if try they go here you, your angle is to keep it away so you watch carry tonan and stuff how he's willing to give his leg away to get the leg from the opponent is actually pretty pretty impressive, and clearly there's a there's a like those positions zero points because leg locks are weird because it's a position and a submission hold at the same time. Mm. So there's probably you know some positions that people are scrambling about at the moment that maybe we can say okay this is the position. And then position, and between that's the transition. But we can differentiate those things. They're solid enough because sometimes it all looks like a, a big scramble, you know? Yeah. Maybe we can do like a uh, still frames to chunk it out a little bit and teach them, like, you know, pandas and all those things. Uh, everything is transition, but we can chunk it, you know, with the big chunks that we can separate them. They're different enough. Um, uh, so we can teach them separately and then in the future I always say never stop everything is a mess you know everything is a movement mm. so I, I can see myself but but uh, I'm just enjoying I think what other people are bringing to the table at the moment and systemizing the leg lock defense also because clearly there's more systems of leg locks out of attack and um, um, I I don't I don't think I'm hurting anybody but I would want to see like systematic leg lock DVD defense. How about defense? Okay. Not like random, you know, you can see like uh, people are putting out random defense videos, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's like random here, random against he looks and, but what about early he look, little bit later he look, later, 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 and no he look, you know? Yeah. 
let's give me like five, six timing issues with the leg locks. Let's show the depth, you know? Usually those leg lock defenses are very random, you know? Uh, so that I think needs to be more studying, you know, what's early, what's later, what is our range. So uh, I wish maybe, you know, I would, if I do it long enough, I would have my say. And if I can prove it also, then it makes sense to listen to me. Hmm. Because with the escapes, you know, I can pull it off. So that's why, that's why people should listen in leg locks. Uh, I'm enjoying what other people putting out and I'm trying to catch up and we'll see if I'm able to explain it then it makes sense and I can do it and then it then it's then it becomes a time to listen to me in that area also is there do you think that so now now with the with the leg lock so when the ADCC the, the one that just happened everyone was expecting a lot more leg um, the leg lock leg entanglement games but there's there's actually not that much there's um you know that What's his name? School of Grappling on Instagram. Yes. Um, he has the breakdown of ADCC and it's like the, uh, the rear naked strangle or choke, whatever it is. That's very high. The, the percentage of getting that is very high. And I think it's like inside heel hook the next, but it's quite, it's, it's a significant number lower, lower. So, but something else that he put out on his stats was how people got into those positions, dominate, dominate. Uh, what is it? The dominant top position. It was all through, the majority, if I remember correctly, is from single legs. You know, attacking single leg, standing, attacking single leg, and then taking the back or leg dragging and then, um, and then sweeping them. Do you think that... So right now when you watch, when we watch the ADCC, or even if you watch the ADCC, the one uh, in 2017, and you watch the, the stand-up game and then, and obviously if you watch uh, the Pan Americas or any of the wrestling, there's a very obviously, there's a significant difference in the way that the wrestling's done but in terms of actually implementing wrestling as wrestling into jiu-jitsu how difficult do you think it is or if it, it, is it difficult at all it's, it's a, um, i think it's different sport because we can grab the head wrestlers can't mm. and we can have kimura grip wrestlers can't so it's easier it's a little bit easier to do those things but also wrestling is different because um we don't have penalties. Hmm. I think that okay. um, you mean one for of stalling? the yeah, it's crazy that people can walk backwards. Yeah. Um, uh, so in wrestling, they just they can't step backwards. You yeah. just have to go forward, and that's like a particle collider. You know, like a, it just creates mistakes. You just boom, you just go, and finally you have sparks and you know mistakes. So, so I think that's different. In um, the aggressive aggressivity level, in uh, it's a little bit, you know, there, it's more, it's it's still aggressive, but it's not like with a penalty, you know, you, mm. you have to go forward. Um. So and yes, we it's different sports. We can go to legs, and we have different things. But I would I would wish just the stand up part, or also just jiu-jitsu part, just more penalties. Mm more stalling calls and I don't know how to solve it in that sense. I know in wrestling, if you get a single leg, I stroll, nothing happens, three, five seconds, reset, stand up. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you do it in jiu-jitsu, but we can have like certain, somebody holds the grip in 10 seconds, nothing happens. Yeah. You know, uh, we should have a stalling call. Boom, let go, you know, stand up. It's a sport. We want to see action. I know it's like, oh, you're taking away more option to finish Kimura, but nothing happened. It was a stalemate. Mm. So we somehow has to 
all this wrestling and ADC kind of pushing it, the wrestling part, the rules are messed up. Okay. Um, uh, so I think that has to be fixed. But I think the wrestling part is good. And you said like uh, it's changing because now the leg lock threats or let's say also creates more the back threats mm -hmm. because people are attacking legs and they get more sweeps and back takes for it. And now, and again, like some somehow upper body attacks are or in, but but the setups are different, you know. So so uh, it's a fun evolution. I'm enjoying it. Now Lachlan Giles brought the 50-50 back, you know, yeah. the way he did it. <laughs> um, many people were were missing. I also saw some connection. I was not that bright to say it, you know. And Lachlan said he was start watching matches and stuff and seeing that 50-50 would dominate. I also saw some indication, but like I was not that bright uh, that put that like two and two together. Uh, but I know that people were, even our guy in Estonia, one of my, the video guy, the black belt, I do videos. But also he was the first guy that started to do leg locks in Estonia like five, six years ago. Mm. So, and because we were watching what good guys were doing, you know, but everybody kind of mm, excluding Ryan Hall did the, uh, didn't use 50-50, yeah? Yeah. Everybody said that 50-50, dangerous, blah, blah, blah. Ryan Hall was all 50-50. So even Danaher guys, they avoided it. But uh, so it was kind of, we didn't do it. But now, now we understand it was not studied well, you know? Mm. And probably everybody's now, you know, buying Ryan Hall DVDs and watching what Lachlan does and, and uh, watching all the 50-50, even in Jiu-Jitsu matches, you know, there's instructionals. So to make more sense of it. So it's still a weird evolution happening, and with wrestling, we see the ADCC. Uh, still, I don't know if you compare it to AD, uh, NCAA. We're yeah. not we're not wrestlers yet, you know. I think we're people. I don't know. They don't have enough time, or the sport rules don't, don't push it so much. But we we still don't look like wrestlers. Mm. I think we have long way to way to go. Everybody should look like Ricky Rodriguez, you know. And uh, I, I didn't see the match, but they said some NCAA wrestler actually took Ricky down, yeah? Uh, there was in, that... in ADCC? No, in some other wrestling match. Oh, oh, oh. are you talking about Nicky Rod, I... the uh, Danaher guy? Yeah. yeah What's he... his name? Sorry. Nick, Nicky, Nicky Rod. Yes, sorry. My, my, I was, uh, I was, I was saying fine. the wrong name then, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. What's that? Pat Downey took him down. Pat Downey. So there's a level of wrestling, you know. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So, but I don't actually, what also the other discussion is, um, I don't mind that our sport is butt scoot heavy. And <laughs> I don't, I don't mind that, oh, it's manly. And uh, I think it's false because takedowns are man-made. And, and the stand-up part is man-made. Hmm. And if you... If you, let's say, if you give up in a grappling world, if you give absolute freedom, let's say, submission wins, yeah? yeah? There's no pins and no nothing. I know the idea of pinning somebody makes sense and one of the safest ways to show your superiority. But if you take that away, then if I know you're a stronger guy in wrestling, I will sit down. Why would I stand up? Yeah, so there's, I don't know how to, where, where, do, I, where do I put this argument of you know because if you took all the rules away that i will submit you yeah mm -hmm. then you tap that's the ultimate win i would butt scoot so and then i i understand because i also 
don't know. I'm, I'm biased. Yeah, I know the two guys are wrestling. One is spot scooting. It looks like, a, you know, like a, you wimped out, you know, you chickened out. But that is our sport. Mm-hmm. That is the ultimate form of grappling. And then somebody decided, no, two men standing up, that's a manly way, you know? That's man-made. Mm. And we're, we're so used to the visual that all this butt scooting seems like, oh, you just chickened out. So um, I, think, uh, I think we're all wrong bashing all those things. And mm-hmm. maybe we just should accept that our sport, the purest form of grappling, yeah. the submission wins, looks like that and we're just so used to the wrestling match and everything else that it looks weird Mm. but but whose fault is that yeah who's maybe it's a fault of our predecessor what's the word Uh, predecessors yes predecessors yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe their fault but clearly the purest form if submission matters this is what happens right even both guys can butt school even that (laughs) is our sport yeah, I mean, you could have aggressive butt scooting. Nikki, Nikki, Nikki yes. Ryan, Gordon Ryan's little brother. When he's butt scooting, he's not, he's he's aggressively attacking his opponent. Yeah. So why not? Maybe that's let's accept that this is our sport. Stop this! Oh, this is your if your if your man is butt scooting, you have a girlfriend or something. You know, you have <laughs> you have you have those a lot of memes and they're bashing and but let's just accept this is our sport. So we have to put that argument somewhere and, uh, and look at it like a neutral, you know? Mm. So, because maybe wrestling got it all wrong. I understand it now, you know, when you have weapons and all those things, things yeah. change, you know? But as a purest form of grappling, that's what it is. Mm. So I don't, I'm not saying that we should not do wrestling in stand-up, but I think the argument is also sometimes flawed. And uh, I think also we haven't found a very good way of uh, incentivizing all this wrestling stuff because wrestling, you know, when you do a big throw, five points, and if you just drop somebody on your butt, it's two points. And But in our grappling matches, everything is two points. Everything, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think if you, I don't know, if you land in side control, maybe it's four points or I don't know. So I'm, know. I'm already like pass. two weeks. You have to pass anyway. to get... Maybe even you, if you land on, uh, on, let's say, if you land on side control, maybe it's a short drop or big drop. But it's the same. It's a, there's no incentive to do a big throw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we have to have a big throws? Do we have to not? Some, some throws are bigger, you know. So in wrestling, we also incentivize that because it is the harder thing to do to have a bigger arch. So uh, but I think in wrestling rules, the wrestling is more thought out in those rules. Mm. Us is like just take down, you know. There's more to that. So I think, um, and I, I don't see a lot of discussion changing anything in ADCC because it's not democracy, you know. It's not that countries can vote, that change the rules, that's debate about the rules. Let's make things better. No, there's no debate. Nobody is challenging those things, and um, yeah, so that's kind of sad. So. Mm. I've heard that ADCC rules hardly has, have changed since it started. Yeah, so that's crazy. I, 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 I don't go with the wrestling or sometimes they, in some point, they change the rules very often, you know. Then it was also kind of bad athletes that didn't know what to prepare for. Mm. But clearly there has to be a debate, like democracy and stuff. But until companies are running sports, 
clearly we can not have the debate or when it even happens, it's super slow process. Mm -hmm. There's, um, have you, yeah, sure. The, the, there's the, um, have you heard of the Parabellum Quintet that happened in Canada, in Toronto? Uh, no. Did you hear about that? It's by uh, Parabellum Gym down in Toronto. My buddy trains there. But their, their coach, I forget what his name is, but he actually implemented the, system, the, the, the sort of, um, the sort of uh, wrestling system into this jiu-jitsu quintet rules. So he, he put stalling. So if you're, I think if I remember the rules correctly, if you're fighting and, and you keep stalling and moving backwards, if you do this two times, you get a stall, you get what, uh, I think you get minus one. And then I think if you do it three times, you get this DQ'd or four times. So that way that, so it's, I think the whole thing is up on BJJ Fanatics. I think it's just Parabellum Quintet. And so you actually see more engagement in standing. Obviously, there are a lot of people that just sat down and then did aggressive butt scooting. But that was one example I could think of where the rules... Also, Sakuraba. The Sakuraba Quintet did also oh, the same right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, close guard, five seconds, I think. You know, if oh, I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. I think the close guard was... They, if somebody pulled close guard, they do nothing. Ref was already like pointing <laughs> fingers. And uh, there was, uh, they were... They were I think aggressive enough with stalling and it, it was, you know, still over, you know, mismatches and everything else that makes it made it fun more, mm -hmm. but they were, uh, yeah. So close guard, you know, it's like obvious, you know, if you just keep it for stalling, just don't let go the move, yeah. just let it go. Yeah. Uh, but it seems close guard, just another topic would be close guard is so holy to jiu-jitsu, you know? That's what and I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, it's like blasphemy. Like if you're in a quintet, oh, five minutes, five seconds, close guard, I have to open. But it's close guard. How can you open? <laughs> it's like if you stay in mount and don't do nothing in a fight, hmm. yeah, because your goal is to submit. And if you stall in a position and you get a stalling because your progression is towards submission. So that's our sport, you know. That's mm -hmm. So you can whine about it, but that's you're taking a dominant grip and like, like in judo, if you get a belt grip, uh, if you get five seconds, you either throw or let go. Mm. Because you have a dominant grip, you can stall the match. Mm. So that means, you know, if the goal is the throw, and our goal is not a pin, but a, uh, but a submission. Mm -hmm. So you're holding a dominant position for stalling. So that's penalized. So, but uh, yeah, close guard is so holy in jiu-jitsu, but it's, it's so misrepresentation. Hmm. And it drives me nuts usually. What is it so that what you do don't want like to ask about? about it? What? So what is it about close guard that you uh, that makes you upset the way it's the way it's currently in its in its current form? Uh, it's overthought, overthought. Hmm. It's taught. Uh, it's taught as an ultimate thing to beginners. Okay. But if you look evidence, do you see close guard dominating the sports? No. Yeah. So. Um, if and with also with a white belt and blue belt teaching, it's very easy to say don't teach, yeah. And uh, we know it's wrong uh, to say that. So and with close guard also, it 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 uh, it sounds logical uh, for a white belts and whatever to tell them, oh, you start with the close guard submissions because it's a steady position, everything else, yeah. Mm -hmm. But. Um, uh, but if you see them roll, I think it's you see that close guard submissions are not that dominating. The, those things happen differently. And by the way, 
when was the last time you saw a hip pump in a high level? Yeah, I was actually thinking, I was just thinking that. When was the last time you saw, I only, only Kimura I, I know from the close guard is yeah. uh, what Jacare did to Marcelo. Oh, yeah. So, but you understand what I mean? If, if those techniques is like, they're the best. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I think Kimura is better from half guard and from side control, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, so even I think some hip pumpish stuff is from half guard actually better. Uh, kind of like bump over sweeps. But, uh, and uh, the usual trick question, maybe you have heard me asking this in seminars, but uh, it's a trick question I ask people, what is more fundamental, close or open guard? Mm. And usually 60% of the people, they say close guard is more important. Mm. Yeah, it sounds logical also, because that's what most gyms are doing also. Yeah, first day, all close guard armbar or something. Yeah. You know? uh, and then, but I usually say like, you have to ask uh, about the topic, you have to ask questions from different angle. Yeah. And sometimes you get a different answer. So, uh, if I asked you before, which is more fundamental? Yeah, seems logical. Close guard is more fundamental. Yeah. But if I ask you, without what guard you cannot play? Then the answer is open guard. Mm -hmm. That makes also open guard more fundamental because without the close guard, you actually can play jiu-jitsu. And uh, I would say open guard, uh, you can, some people go like, oh, but MMA is close guard. Mm. Uh, well, MMA is different close guard. Also, feet on the hip is better to, you know, get away from punches and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, when you saw my videos, I emphasize closeness. I think the closeness as a, as a close guard mm -hmm. is more essential. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, closeness. Yeah, keeping the neckties, making it easier. Um, so, they cannot stack forward. And they, they don't posture up, so both mm -hmm. directions are covered, because most of the people that are you know defending against people that posture up, but I say stacking in is one of the best ways to kill close guard, and there's so much evidence about it. And, uh, and so uh, I'm saying closeness is a better defining word for a close guard because mm -hmm. everything works the way it meant meant to be when they're close. Overhook triangle or a plata situation works when you know one one hook here one leg is in a hip you know and very very close. Arm drags, arm bars, everything works when my knees are pulling them forward to the chest, and then I have a legs crossed, mm -hmm. legs on the hips, uh, legs under the hooks, legs over the hooks, and some hybrids. Yeah, and so closeness defines the distance for a close guard to work. And then I can use my all leg, all four leg positions, mm. and so I can do hook sweeps and everything else. So everything is I'm not I'm not attached to keeping the legs closed. You just so want your opponent close. Yeah. So I find close. I find yeah I find if you if you define it by closedness, then people are afraid to open. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And but uh, you know a lot of triangle setups are actually one leg on the hips. You know. Uh, and I like close guard. I'm not saying close guard is bad or whatever. I, I I play clearly. I play close guard. I like arm drags. I like flower sweeps and uh, everything else. But I find if people posture up, I usually open up my legs myself. Mm. 
because if they have any knowledge about good posture and how to stand up, they're away anyway, yeah? And in competition environment, I can drag them a little bit, you know, I can drag the time, I can keep my legs closed 10 seconds more, win the fight, it's a strategy. Mm -hmm. So this depends on environment a little bit. But I'm not attached, it's like the same way I'm not attached to De La Riva guard. If somebody kills my hook, I mm -hmm. move on, you know? Mm -hmm. If you posture in, posture down, I do my best to change up and, you know. So I think it's a rotisserie chicken, that grilled chicken position. Mm -hmm. and then spider, De La Riva, close guard, X guard, everything is a distance management. So in my, you know, I did a little bit rush there. I was a little bit rusty after a, you know, month break or something. But my last the video on my YouTube also tries to explain, uh, explain that. So I think just it makes more sense. Um, all the X chokes, loop chokes, everything works better when mm -hmm. they're close. Already like neck is broken. Yeah. It works right away in MMA. Uh, usually, usually the, the close guard top and also close guard bottom is one of the weirdest things to teach in jiu-jitsu to beginners because beginners think street, you know? They want to do it for fighting and then we have to teach them the sport. So if you if, if you teach them like somebody's posture up in a in a you know in a close guard and usually people are like why they're there you know I get punched in the face here mm. so to keep them in a distance you know and then you can explain them they're punching you you're keeping your knees in you know close behind their back you're pulling them forward you're hugging like you know Gracie stuff a little bit you know yeah. hug the head overhook whatever it is you can have actually this also. And then pull your knees, you know, put your knees under those elbows and stuff, you know, as a, as a shin spider guard. There's evidence, you know, Nogueira and Fedori Milenenko, Fyodor, actually in Russian language. So it works as MMA guard. Um, it goes well with all the Gracie brothers, how they explain mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the, all the six month combative curriculum in a guard. So it's easier to do. And also when I do it from top, I do all the you know neck grabbing and posting and all those things stacking in, and it also makes sense for uh, beginners because it's fighting right away. Otherwise, you have to sit back, play the kind of weird game, and nobody actually understands why you have to do it because in a in a street you would punch somebody in the face or right. do different things. And I actually teach uh, also we teach using a stack, killing the open guard, uh, killing the close guard, because so you have a seminar on that. Yeah, so because there's no punching after that. And it's uh, they have to let go because usually if you stack in, they go hooks under you a little bit. Mm -hmm. So they have to open the legs to keep your weight away. Mm. Um. Um, yeah, so so that's kind of a close guard top is catching up. There's some other stuff I have to fix out, but uh, fix. But the bottom makes more sense. Uh, I wish people would challenge that but uh, and be ready to change your mind. But just everything, literally everything, let's let's give you a little bit of room, yeah? Mm. Now, uh, mostly everything works uh, way better uh, if if you just play it close. Gi, mm. no gi, MMA just makes sense. Mm. That's interesting. The, 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 it, just, it just occurred to me, my, a friend of mine wanted me to ask you, uh, a friend and training oh. partner, Gi, he wanted me to ask you, he said, because he'd been watching, because I, I sent him some of your stuff. 
and he'd been watching it and he would and he's he's very much into wrestling and so he wanted to know if there's any concern that you have um in teaching teaching those focus on defensive postures that in in teaching defensive postures you take away from other uh attacking positions potentially attacking positions so in focusing too much on defensive postures are you missing out on the attacking side of things uh yes and no but uh, i'll give you another fun experiment we did um i think it was now a year and a half ago I w we were just about to do it also um in a main group uh, just teaching defense just before this corona but i know i did um, a year and a half ago we did a section when i taught the darces anacondas you know the through neckties all those things defenses as we knew back then uh, timing wise early middle late blah 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 yeah and i only did defenses hmm. and what happened during the two months we did this Everybody got super good in Darcy and Anaconda. You know why? Because the defense was better. Hmm. Because they were motivated to keep attacking because they had super hard time to finishing. Because when what happens when you teach, let's say you teach Anaconda, you know, Darce through a necktie, so it's a one triangle part, you know, you can go in, in and in the middle, yeah. and Japanese necktie, whatever. So if you do this and you don't teach defense, then it becomes everybody gets super bored in a week or two because they just finishing rate is super high yeah mm. so and people are not motivated to figure it out because actually understanding the scientific defense in a different timing layers it's quite hard uh, because the information is very scattered in the world so what i randomly did i didn't expect these results i i taught only defense I showed, you know, everybody understands Anaconda, Roll, blah, blah, blah. And uh, and two months, they could just hunt those Dars, Mars, Anaconda and stuff. And everybody was super motivated to just mm. because the fence got su super good. And they had actually very, very hard time catching people on those submissions. So the motivation and interest uh, was super high. That's it. So, yeah, so... Uh, that that is very interesting that you say that in that you're teaching their that you're teaching your students defensive defenses or improving their defenses and as a as a direct result of that they're attacking yes. just incrementally so, got better yes so that's the very logical thing hmm. and also many things they sound logical first but they're counterintuitive is you want to get good in attacks teach the attacks yeah so I guess my my guys they had to know you know anaconda some roles some you know a little bit finishing mechanics we did go over those things very shortly but the motivation to understand those mechanics drops really fast if there's no defense because they don't understand why in anaconda you have to grab the leg mm. understand because they don't appreciate grabbing the leg ah oh, grabs the leg don't grab the leg who gives a fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, but if you understand that grabbing the leg is one of the key things that I would teach to keep you keep away from you, yeah. then you understand very much that why you need to have that leg very quickly. Mm -hmm. So and uh, uh, so what what pushes the attack to become better is the defense. So what happens also what happens to these defensive structures when I teach my zero points, people's uh, timing 
of attack mm. will get super good because the the elbow spaces are so tucked in that people have to get really fast arm in or the space is gone. Mm. So your timing is usually like this if defense is bad, but my defense is pushing the timing to become this very, very specific, very precise. And if somebody has a more open elbows, it works even better. Mm. But uh, because the good defense, because otherwise I usually say this, that you have a sector of defense and you don't know which, where is the accurate timing, you know? So defense helps you to find that accurate timing that is needed for that technique. And when somebody is a lesser skilled defense level, then it works anyway. So by teaching the, the escapes, actually what we did two months was also attacks. And everybody was uh, not, let's say, let's call it everybody. Everybody was watching YouTube, you know, understanding how to do those submissions better because they had a hard time during the, during the gym, during the training. So, so that's an interesting side effect, actually. Mm. Uh, and on, you know, also in the main group, uh, we did just, uh, Ronald, my video partner, did, I think, two months, those submissions separately. You know, they're like white belts, you know. We did, uh, but the base was also those zero points, but people did more mistakes in zero points, liber deliberately. Moving around, but keeping, you know, keeping it open and then open less. Yeah, mm. so you still get your arms through. And now my job was after this, we already did like, a, I think one or two weeks before this Corona happened. Now my, my influence was I started to do defense now because they got, uh, they got good because the motivation was there and, and mechanics were good. And now the defense kicks in. And uh, so they could do another two months, Darces and Marses and all those anacondas. But the motivation is high because the defense is making everything super hard. So with the beginners, I would still do the mechanics, really show them how to change from one lock to another lock and how to connect because one is a, we, later it was like a, anaconda was a setup for a darts, you know, in and then jab cross, you know, mm -hmm. because you fake it one and then, so it's always combinations, you know, one, two or three. So using those defensive structures, bottom person was moving around during those positions, panda, turtle, hawking, running man. And the top guy was attacking the moving target and combining things because they, they could actually block the first one and then do the second one. But without this zero point and without the defensive, uh, defensive person knowing how to move in the bottom, we couldn't do those drills. Because the bottom person, without this knowledge of zero points, could not move around. Because they could move around, you know, arms open and then everything would be fake. So, bottom person was training their transitioning, mm -hmm. doing the, them deliberately sloppier. Maybe blocking the first attempt. Maybe if the guy was good, blocking the two attempts and giving the third attempt. And then the top person was learning combination attacks and not getting frustrated if the first attempt did not work because mm -hmm. that's the point of the sport. You first is always a setup. Most cases, you know, you slap the head and double leg. Uh, so top guy learned to attack the moving target. And then now my job was, like I said, to make the defense even more better. Mm. And it was nice to build on that because they were already moving around under pressure. And so my job would just make it more precise. <coughs> 
So actually, the results from those uh, uh, were 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 gonna be like super crazy. I was so I was so happy actually because what what job the Ronald did with the, all the jokes and mm. what I know what I can do with the escapes, and I also needed the escapes to do it second time because the first time I did it was one year and a half ago, and now I know so much more of different timing layers and uh, all the baby bridges stuff that that just I, w- I would say even exponentially made everything better. Um, but we did also a good job back back in the day already a year and a half ago. But now the the projectile was already it was was already pretty good. Mm. So we'll see. Probably we continue after this if we still have a club. But uh, but but it was really really nice to see how how systemized beginners white belt and blue belt can can look and uh, what what kind of potential they have. You know like. I could produce, let's say, dream job or projectile could be um, in a rate over exaggerated context would be mm. everybody would be like Carrie Donham, you know, escaping mm. submissions. He has a crazy feeling of things, you know, and uh, so we know what he can do. And the, the point is, how do we systemize it, what he can do? Yeah. Mm. Or how what what the good guys that escape the wizards, you know. What they can do, what how we systemize their information. Because if you teach single techniques, you're lost. You have to understand the concept of what they're doing, you know, and uh, then you understand the techniques. So, but I know already with Darces and all those things we did, those those blue belts and stuff. If they start, it's not gonna be like they're not gonna get submitted, you know. But they know what they have to do, and they just have to fail and pull it off, and you know. And if they're a black belt, they're pretty good at this already. Mm. So, but if already blue belts are, you know, and white belts are handling, they're knowing the layers of escapes. Just takes time to pull it off in the highest level, you know. So it's a it's a very very interesting times, and I'm happy where where everything goes. So still, my my gym is a lab, and it's not perfect, but we're always, you know, messing with information, and this defensive thing is actually helping in some way to make people way better, very faster. Uh, because imagine when you can you can have a defensive guy in leg locks like Carrie Donald in a gym. Everybody will try to figure out how to how to submit that guy. Mm-hmm. So so that's why that's why the, it's a the question your friend asks is counterintuitive. By teaching people, that, of course, we have to teach the first layer of you know how to attack the heels and stuff. But what keeps them attacking the heel is how good the defense. If the defense is really good, people are super motivated to watch matches to still hunt that heel. Mm-hmm. And they never had a th- thought in their head that, oh, I'm good. Because, you know, if you tap somebody six, ten times in a gym, you start to think, oh, I'm good in leg locks. Yeah. And then you meet the leg lock wizard that ex- uh, escapes everything. You go like, oh, shit, you know? <laughs> so, so because it's possible. So you need that defensive structure in the gym. And then it just people keep evolving and then attacking the legs and you know, so that's I think it's a very counterintuitive, but uh, seems like very very necessary. Yeah, it's it's it does. I think I think you got that. Um, it reminds me of uh, May, Floyd Mayweather. You know, he's very defensive. But it, I mean, he had nobody's defeated him in I don't know what fifty fights. Everybody, I don't 
I also I, I compared the boxing. I don't know much about boxing. I, I guess I know the Mayweather and I know Lomachenko and stuff, and I know in a way how boxing works. But I've I still I heard because Mayweather was also bashed. I think you know the way he hit pads. I think people are criticized hmm. the way he played defensively. He got a lot of heat for that, but then he pulled it off. You know, and uh, so definitely there's a system. Uh, that works. It's uh, very head-saving what what he's doing, mm-hmm. uh, and clearly, it's, it's, again, like also like I guess Lomachenko is. You can argue that he's very defensively offensive. You know, mm-hmm. it's very hard to get hit, and you know. So how do we systemize that? It cannot be like one guy and then he stops boxing and the information is lost. You know, mm-hmm. somebody has to. Why not produce hundred Lomachenkos? You know. Yeah. Uh, my good friend. Uh, from Trinidad Tobago, Rondel also explained that uh, that something happened with the uh, uh, late Kobe Bryant also, mm-hmm. that uh, the coach Phil Jackson, then they could like help him to, you know, to be more Michael Jordan or something. That uh, it's like, what was Michael Jordan and what's the essence, you know? Mm-hmm. So sometimes it, it uh, you can't copy straight the, the, the object, you have to understand how it's built. Like Carrie Tonon, you if you don't understand what he's doing, it's super hard to mimic him. It's like Telus, you know, if you don't understand the essence of what he's doing, you will never be good at the turtle because mm. he, he's, he looks so wonderful, but he's not. Mm. So what is the essence? And we can copy and then everybody can, can be a Telus. So that's the, that's the hardest. And I'm, I'm very lucky or I don't know. So that I could, I could help to figure it out. And already the feedback I'm getting, so clearly I'm doing something good. Uh, so I think we have to study more good guys. Mm-hmm. And if some, somebody is particularly good at something, there, it has to be a way to systemize it down to the essence of what it is. And then clearly because it's sad when those people, you know, stop doing the sports, retire, and information is lost. And uh, so, so, so that's, I don't know what I'm afraid of, um, that we have so much going on and uh, clearly we have some very, very good guys, but seems like a lot of them can teach what they're, why they're good. Mm. Because I know some guys uh, that are good in turtle uh, and they can't, they can't say the essence of that. Even uh, the, my, my uh, turtle friend, uh, Eric Linden from Sweden, who was the closest thing we had to tell us that the turtle thing happened because he was very good in turtle. He's one, I gave the verbal vote also him. So he couldn't actually explain what he's doing in turtle. What is the essence of what he's doing? Mm. So, and it took us two and a half years to figure it out. Um, so even it helped him to understand what he's actually doing. Uh, and now I can, let's say, I can play similar to him, very open. It's very hard to understand what I'm doing, actually. But when I'm teaching it, it's always the elbows. Uh, elbows close in an exact specific position and all those things. So so sometimes just people do. And it's not it's not a bad thing to say that, you know, they don't get it. They clearly do, but... But uh, it comes like to the time and, you know, trial and error. So they can't say what is the essential. So it, 
it needs other people. And mm. uh, so, so let's say I, I can do it in a pretty okay level, the turtle, but not in a maybe world-class level because the strength and timing and explosiveness and athleticism, yeah? But I can explain what TELUS does maybe. Mm-hmm. So, so some people do this, some people do it in a highest level, you know, some people can do both. So, yeah, so it's, so it's interesting, but there's so many things that I wish that we, sh- we studied. And clearly, you know, the, clearly the Carrie Donan as an escape, escaping wizard is my coffee machine goes nuts a little bit. If you're here, uh, wait, shuts down. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so I'm not out of the, I still have inspirations and um, I don't stress about it so much. The inventions are coming to me, you know, when they come. Mm-hmm. I'm clearly thinking and then I see some matches and randomly kind of, I feel they're like, it's like a, they're happening. So it's a really weird process actually. Yeah. Because I don't know when they're happening. At some point, just, oh, and now I get it. Man, this is this has been a fantastic conversation. Pre- <laughs> Thank you. But um, before we go, where can the listeners find you on social media? Do you have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? Twitter, no. Instagram at the moment is uh, pretty dead. I was more active when I, I think, before the corona. Okay. I was doing more stories and stuff. I just, I don't know how to use Instagram, actually. In that sense, I know how to use Facebook. Uh, so it's Facebook is uh, Jits Vulcan Breed Mikkelsen, my name, and Jits okay. Vulcan. Um, so that's Facebook. Then uh, YouTube, YouTube, also my name. You can find I have some DVDs in Fanatics. What else? Your uh, website? Website at the moment, uh, after I think it, let's say it comes out after all the corona and stuff. Right now, okay. I don't have it. But uh, usually through Facebook, and then people want to friend me. I usually accept everybody. I, if they, there's no common friends, I usually ask them, "How do we know each other?" And mm-hmm. I, if, if I just to check them if they're not spam, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so and the, yeah, let's say Instagram, Facebook, and yeah, YouTube people are already like commenting there also already pretty often. So those are at the moment. Uh, and also Globetrotters, yes, Globetrotters in action. That's a lot of my information is out there, pretty mm-hmm. scattered by intention. Uh, so I'm trying to build it more as a system towards DVDs and stuff. So people can actually find pretty, a lot of things in the Globetrotters in action site about my stuff. And also there's like a, you know, over 200 free seminar videos. So it's a good resource for, for, for there, for people actually. Uh, so those are the main, main things I think. And I'm, I'm from Estonia. So in Tallinn, so anybody wants to come to visit, we're always very welcoming towards travelers. We don't have a mat fee. Mm. Uh, if you're visiting for maybe a week or two, we don't charge you. We're just happy you come. Uh, so in Tallinn 3d training. So, so uh, yeah, so that's, that's about it. I think that's enough already. And that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Reed, for this, for taking your time and talking.